Hi, welcome back to Real as Feedback. Each week we have unfiltered conversations about performance feedback in the workplace and we share real stories and offer practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. I am Kieran Snyder and as always I'm here with Kim Scott and Jackie Clayton. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi there. Yeah, and today I'm really excited. Uh, We have a special guest, fun fact, if you didn't know about Jensen Harris. He is my co-founder at Textio, and even more fun fact, also my husband, if you didn't know that, (laughs) Textio fans. But besides being married to me, he has done so much in user experience and product vision. Um, He helped design the first version of Microsoft Outlook, uh, led the design and uh, user experience and implementation of the innovative ribbon uh, inside Microsoft Office, led the touch user experience for Microsoft Surface. If you wanna know about user experience, he is your person. So Jensen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome Jensen. I thought we would start today, we always like to start by something that's going on in the world, by talking a little bit about ChatGPT. I've been writing about this, especially on the topic of bias and ChatGPT a lot uh, over the last few months. And uh, some of you know the headline is there is bias inside ChatGPT. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. More recently, companies are banning ChatGPT at work. Places like Apple, JP Morgan Chase, Verizon, restricting usage. So maybe Jensen, we'll start with you. Any thoughts about why this is happening? Well, the reasons that it's happening seem really clear, right? Like companies are worried they don't know where their data is going to go. They're worried that Um, as you said, bias or other problems are going to crop up in stuff that gets generated, stuff that's not going to sound like their company or is not going to adhere to their company's values. Um, And so I think we're going to see a whole bunch of companies that really hit the brakes on just giving employees sort of unfettered access to start putting proprietary data into these untrusted and unknown systems that have really only been around for a few months. Yeah. Um, One thing I was going to share as we uh, dove into this topic, kind of a segue into feedback, I published some data last week on racial bias and feedback written by ChatGPT. I asked ChatGPT to write feedback for identical employees other than one went to Howard University, you know, famous HBCU, historically black college and university uh, and Harvard. And it turns out the stereotypes that pop through are really extreme. Um, You know, when you ask ChatGPT to mimic constructive feedback for a marketer who went to Howard, 95% of the time it posits missing technical skills or doesn't get along with others, um, which only show up about 20% of the time in the purported feedback for Harvard alums. And so you see um, problems. So I thought that would be interesting here. Kim, any take? 
Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people, as you can imagine, come and talk to me about how excited they are to use ChatGPT to write their performance reviews. And this, to me, is a disaster. Uh, and it's a disaster in part because of the kind of bias you're talking about, but also, like, what is the point, then, of having a performance review if your manager didn't write it? But So at the very least, I think that it is the manager's job to at least write the bullet points, like to do the thinking. And different people think differently. If you hate to write, and I want to acknowledge, like a lot of people really hate to write. My, my husband at one point asked his team how much of a cut they would take in pay if they didn't have to write performance reviews. <laughs> and it was 20%. I mean, like, so people really... <laughs> I mean, it was a theoretical question, but still. So, so I want to acknowledge, like, like, I love to write, but most people do not love to write. Uh, and so I think that's part of the reason why there's all this excitement around ChatGPT. And, and we're just going to have to figure out, we can't stop thinking. Uh, uh, writing is one way of thinking. There are other ways of thinking that are perhaps less onerous. So that's my, my hot take. But you cannot outsource your thinking to ChatGPT. It's actually really interesting when we designed Textio's performance management product, uh, which does have some generative capabilities inside it, we really intentionally designed the prompt structure so that yeah. in order to get any help, you have to provide examples. Yes. You have to provide them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the chat GPT can't make them up for you. Exactly. So I think it's really interesting that uh, so many organizations are, uh, are winding these down. Um, Jackie, any take from you? Yeah, I don't know if you remember, back in 1999, there was um, a play that came up by Tyler Perry called I Can Do Bad All By Myself. It's like, <laughs> I don't need any help with the stuff that I'm creating, it being bad. And I, when writing stuff, when it's coming back and it's like, wait a minute, what are you giving back to me? I actually don't tell anyone had an argument with ChatGPT about ERG systems because I asked it to say, what should we do instead of ERG systems? And it kept saying, no, we should just have ERG programs, not systems programs. And I was like, no, stop saying good things about ERG programs. And it said, but they're really good. And I'm like, I'm what I don't understand. I'm like arguing with you. And like, I didn't realize it's one thing to, you know, make a suggestion I didn't like. It's another thing to have influence in trying to make influence on my decisions where it took yes. a stance uh, and that I didn't take. And so that's when I got a little freaked out. Like I said, I could do bad all by myself. I don't need to make it faster. And I feel like a lot of people are just going to get bad faster if they're just counting on that. You know, they would have gotten that, that is, way in the first place. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. That is really wise, Jack. <laughs> well, I think what what Kim said is really true, which is there are like people. I'm actually one of them who hate writing like absolutely hate it. Like the, the, the practice of sitting down and finding words and typing them out, um, I really hate. But if you just turn over something like writing performance feedback from scratch to ChatGPT, you're essentially making ChatGPT the manager. And at that point, I'm not sure, like we might as well just have ChatGPT become the manager, um, yeah. which obviously doesn't make sense. And so I think at the same time, distinguishing what these language models are really good at, which is turning ideas into more fully written language, 
and separating that from what the manager does, which is, as you said, having the thinking about what feedback to actually give, then it seems totally fine to then have generative AI of some sort take those kernels of ideas and turn it into something that um, has the shape of a performance review. That so it's, I don't think it's a knock on generative AI. It's just generative writing software wasn't designed to be a people manager. Yeah, yeah. That's a good quote. Jen. It is. <laughs> That's a good quote. Well, with that, um, Jensen, we're really excited that you're here. Um, and we love to get real with you. Uh, we always love to ask our guests if there's a particular experience you've had with feedback giving or receiving um, over the course of your career that has been particularly impactful to you. And I happen to know offline for our listeners that Jensen struggled a lot to answer this question and really actually to think about uh, an experience that was either really beneficial or really harmful. So I'm super curious what you're going to share with us today. Yeah. So I did think about this quite a lot because, you know, I've been managing people for a really long time. I've given a lot of feedback, some of it good, some of it bad, and I've received a lot of feedback. Um, one of the things that my brain kept going back to was feedback that I used to get every year at our annual performance review cycle at Microsoft, which was something along the lines of, wow, like you've done really great work, you've accomplished a lot, but you just don't work well with others. <laughs> Other people say, you know, they wish you would include them more, or you wish you would make them feel better about the work that you were doing. And this is the thing that is holding you back. And I always found that um, feedback really hard to take because in my mind, as a, you know, 25 year old engineer, program manager, designer, it seemed like I should be evaluated based on what I did. Like I got great results and I wasn't like steamrolling people. I just wasn't um, being maybe as inclusive with making sure I was creating like the big tent around me. And one of the things I didn't realize until I think way later in life is, you know, I, I assume you've all taken at some point Myers-Briggs or some personality test that, you know, you answer questions and it tells you little factoids about yourself. And I've never taken Myers-Briggs and not been a 100% introvert. Like I've never been 98%, I've never been 92%. I'm always 100% as far towards introvert as you can get. And for me to realize that the, the reason I had such a tough time, you know, playing well with others or including others wasn't actually a desire to not get ideas from others or bring people along. It was the amount of social energy that it took me to get up out of my seat and find the, the desire and the energy to go sit with someone. Um, I just didn't have it. And so it really got to the, to the core of like, what does it mean to get something that really is personality feedback, kind of, right? It's, it's about not my work, but about how I'm showing up. And it clearly is coming from a place of something that's very internal to me. I'm an introvert. It takes me a ton of energy to work up the confidence and um, you know ability to want to sit down with someone. And yet, was actually holding me back. 
Like the truth is that doing work requires oftentimes collaborating with others. Um, and so, you know, finding a way to have put that feedback in a more consumable place, especially when delivered by an extrovert um, for whom, of course, you want to go hang out with people and share your ideas. And like, that's what's fun about work. Um, and so that that's one of the things that really, you know, came to mind as a struggle that I had for, for many, many years and, you know, still do today. Has anything helped you push through it? Have yeah, well, I think strategies? the first thing is just the realization that um, to do certain work, you know, to be a manager, to be a leader, really to do most jobs is going to require working with other people. And so figuring out how to budget my energy such that I'm really spending my social energy and my people energy on the right things, not exhausting it too quickly on less impactful things. Um, has been a really important thing and that you know requires sort of laser focus on your schedule and where am I going to put um, where am I going to put that time that limited that I sort of envision as like a battery meter that's like running down. I know I only have so much energy to put into that. Where am I going to spend it to get the most impact? I think Jackie, that go ahead, Kim. Go ahead. No, please. I think that is so. That's so wise. Uh, I think. I mean, I am a writer, and I think most people would not spot me as an introvert, but I am. Like that's why I love to write. Is because if, if my happy place is all alone in this little glass box or in a garage uh and and i think for too long in my career i dealt with the demands on me to be an extrovert not an introvert by just drinking way too much which was not uh not very uh adaptive well it wasn't i don't know adaptive it worked but it came at too high a price at a certain point and um and I think that there, I think that leaders, especially now in this era when people are demanding that we go back to the office, I think there's a big introversion, extroversion part of that. And it's not as clear as the introverts want to stay home and the extroverts want to go back to the office. Like sometimes it's the introverts that actually want to go back to the office because that was their social outlet. But I think, I think we need to be more aware of that and not demand chit-chat of one another and not demand like these like cocktail party kind of social. Impact. That does not help us care personally about one another. Yeah, they used to, I don't know if this is still a term, but Microsoft, there was a thing called a morale event. And the idea of running the morale event was it was something fun that you were supposed to go to and it raised your morale. And I remember saying to a really early manager, yeah. like, this is bad for my morale. Well, right. This like this is not good for morale. This is like a bad morale event. Say, yeah. No, you'll you'll love it. You know, just go to it. And and so you know, it, it, it comes with it the bias of essentially assuming that you're going to want you know that kind of to experience. do that kind of yeah. yeah. So this this raises a really good question, Jackie. I'm super glad you're here because as somebody whose life's work is about creating inclusive workplace environments. How do you think about that when people in the environment have such varying temperament? Like there are people who absolutely want to go to the happy hour with their coworkers because it's rewarding to build those connections in a personal way. And then there are people for whom that's like their seventh circle of hell. It's like, I've talked to people all day already. I want to go home and 
you know, go for a run or read a book or, you know, something that's to, how do you think about that when you're, you know, thinking about building an environment of belonging? I love that because I'm really an omnivert. So I always say I don't feel comfortable having like cocktails or happy hour. I don't feel comfortable all by myself. I have fun on stage and then I run and I don't want to see anybody ever again because I'm like, they're like, wait, but you did go so good. I'm like, send me a text. Um, so I recognize <laughs> like the difference in there. And even in talking to uh, a person that was developing, they were so excited about building this listening tour and everybody can share different pieces of it. And I was like, what about the people who don't want to talk out loud? Right. And so you really have to think about all of those things of asking the questions, especially when you're talking about belonging and um, inclusion. You have to have the async pieces. You know that some people don't speak on the cuff. Some people need more time. And so it's important that you look at you are not being exclusive in your inclusivity, which I think a lot of people do like oh, I know how we can get everybody together. We'll have a company picnic and they can bring their families. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do something on a Saturday. I have to bring my freaking kids. They're all going to know what a bad parent I am. They see little Johnny pick his nose. Or, or, yeah, or your kids don't want to go. Right, right. And then you have to force, you know. And so you really have to look and think about, the question is always, who might not like this and this? game uh, and or who might not like this activity who might not like this moving forward and one of the famous quotes about deib is always um diversity is being asked to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance and i always say and belonging is making sure there's a pool table a video game a pack of cards yeah. somebody's asked them if they even <laughs> want to dance in the first place yes you know all of these pieces that people forget like i don't want to go to the dance or be asked to dance so where do I fit in? And so I think that's the question you have to ask. It's really hard, especially when the person giving feedback has a wildly different social orientation. So Jensen, you talked about having a manager who is an extrovert, who, um, you know, it's a, it's a fine line because I, I do think there can be valid feedback in, did you incorporate a range of perspectives in your work or in your thinking? It's not valid feedback to say, and the way you do that is by having a meeting with the following attributes. And so I'm wondering if any of your managers along the way who gave you this feedback gave you suggestions of tactics that worked better for you. Cause you're never going to be the one who wants to go to the roller skating party after work. Like that's never going to be your, your personal preference. So did you get any ideas along the way of how to collaborate more effectively from an introvert standpoint? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that first, um, comes across is disambiguating the idea of it would take me a lot of social energy to ramp up to go get a drink with Jackie. Like it would take me a lot like, and that's very different from, I like Jackie and I like hanging out with Jackie. That like my, the, the thing that it takes me a lot of energy to work up to creating a connection or a relationship is not at all related to how well I feel like I click with the person, how much I enjoy spending time with them. Um, like I'd love to go, you know, get a slice of pizza with 
Jackie. And also, if I'm going to do that, I need to guard my energy carefully so that I have the energy to put into that or else I'm going to look for a way to cancel it at the last minute. Because you know and it's so, always more than pizza. You know, always more than just pizza. <laughs> well, that makes it more enticing, I think. But you, know, you get to this, this point where for, for, a, for someone who does have the more extroverted point of view, those things are you know, harder to disambiguate because if I like being around a person, if I like them, or I value them, or I value their opinions, then of course I want to be around them because that gives me energy. And so I think the the most important thing for me was just to realize that people come into the workplace with different kinds of dispositions and expectations and work styles. And you're right, it absolutely is important to get a range of opinions and, and it is important to meet with people and to, to create human connection with them. I just have to be really thoughtful about how I manage my energy such that I can show up for the right set of those things and the most in, impactful set of those things. Well, if you have a feedback story to share with us, we would love to hear it. Uh, you can drop us a note at my story at realasfeedback.com. Uh, and we would love for you to get real with us. We will not disclose any identifying information. So with that, are y'all ready to hear a story? Yes. Okay. Let's see what we got. So this story um, comes from someone I'm going to uh, just read it out loud. I think it's really interesting. We haven't seen anything quite like it before. Uh, person writes, I've wanted to send in a feedback story for a while now, but I haven't been able to. The truth is I've been a professional for 15 years now and I've never had a formal feedback session with any of my managers. I didn't even realize that formal and frequent feedback was a thing. In fact, I've generally assumed that no news is good news. If you're having a feedback conversation, that means you're on your way out the door. I'm not sure if the reason is because I've worked at startups or if it be, you know, based on research, maybe it's because I'm a woman of color. My question is, how does someone ask for feedback to support their growth if it's not part of their organization's norms? That is a really important question. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And I have something that I heard just this week that is very upsetting and that might be relevant to this. Can I share it? Please. So I was speaking to a white woman who works at a big company, and she said when she got promoted to a certain level, she could see she she her team was big enough that in their in their feedback system, most of it was transparent, but some of it was you could leave a private message to the manager about the person, and she said the only people who got those kinds of messages were, were, were black women. So, so when in the system, and the system, the reason why that was designed was if something that was particularly touchy, they wanted to make sure people could talk to managers directly about someone. But they wanted to say, as a general rule, if you share feedback with the manager, you should share it with them. So the system was designed with good intent, but it had this terrible, terrible example, which is, People would say in the feedback system, oh, this person um, is doing great. And then if the person were, were a black woman, they would often send negative feedback directly to the manager that was not visible to these black women at this company. 
and she shared it with HR and they were so defensive that they, instead of like fixing the problem and fixing the system, it persisted. Um, so, so in general, I would say it's really important to solicit feedback and usually no news is not good news, uh, but I don't know what you all think. I agree with you on that. Like, I think I've seen it before where people have been afraid of giving that feedback. I wonder that. I know I've had situations where people were afraid to give me feedback. And I think part of it could have been because I think most, most of it is because they knew I was going to give them feedback on their feedback. I think that right. was more intimidating than them actually. Like, I'm going to have to respond. It's not going to be that easy. But the other part is I see this a lot when it's like, oh, I don't know how to talk to this person and they're the only person of color or they're the only woman and if I say something, they're going to take it this way without yeah. recognizing that the silence is louder than the feedback. Yeah, I already know if you're afraid to approach me or you're not having the conversation with me or I'm not receiving that the right way, I already feel some kind of way. So now that's when you start seeing what people mistake of having imposter syndrome. No, that you're, yeah. the reason you're yeah. feeling that way is because you have no idea what you need to be successful. And so yeah. you're paranoid, like, am I doing something wrong? Is this good? Is this good? Is this good? It's not imposter syndrome. It's because it's not real. And so I think a lot of managers, if anybody's had that fear to recognize, the gift is to give the feedback. Once yes. you get the feedback, you know what you're doing, you know how to manage those things. If you're not getting feedback, I think it's fair to just simply say, hey, you gave me this assignment, I've worked really hard on it, I would love to get your input, I'd love to get more feedback. Is this what you expect? And if you don't hear it, if they're afraid and they still don't give it to them, I would ask them, what, would, what does good look like? Or the last person that got a promotion, what did they do in order to get those things? Like maybe take yourself out of it and then start saying, so you have that, I think I'm doing some of these things. Is this what you were talking about to try to have those conversations could be potentially helpful. Or you, you know, like I always say, or you can look for a place where you're going to get good feedback. Yeah, you can look for another, too. yes. Well, the thing that struck me most in this story is this person has experienced this across multiple environments over a 15-year career. So first thing, like for the person with the story, I want to validate, no, it's not normal for environments to include no feedback. So the fact that you're experiencing it in multiple environments is really unfortunate, but it's not actually the norm. I do think it's the norm that early stage startups may not have formal systems in place. So that, you know, if you're working really early stage, that could be very common, but there is um, no early stage environment I know where feedback in some form isn't an essential ingredient for how the company accelerates beyond early stage. Because if yeah. the, the early team is not communicating openly, honestly, clearly, and quickly with one another, the companies tend not to last. And so um, the first thing I would say is like, if you're a leader of a, a company where you're not normalizing the giving and receiving of feedback in some form, you're not really doing employees like this a, a service. You're actually holding them back and holding the environment back because it is not normal. And that's the thing that makes me think this person may be on to something and wondering whether her identity is part of the experience that she's having. 
across in fact, the I think yeah. they, in startups, so I've worked in a lot of startups. It's always been this like bro mentality. And I think sometimes people think they're giving feedback. It's not also the statement that I had was that it's not formalized, right? Like I've sat in rooms where people are like, oh, we have to do this or this sucks or we have to get this better and just shouting things back and forth. They might be thinking, the person might think they're giving them feedback. I've seen yeah. that in various startup. Again, it's not the norm. You would think that someone would come and 15 years is a long time to not ever have that formalized feedback. But yeah. I do think it depends on those, what's, what's the culture inside, you know, what kind of feedback are people giving? D David Thomas, who's the, the uh, president of Morehouse College, wrote an article about something he calls protective hesitation. And this is what happens between, uh, across different. So let's say, say you have a black mentor and a white mentee or a white mentor and a black mentee. And often there's reluctance to give feedback across those differences. And, and he wrote about how that really holds people, it holds, it, it holds um, underrepresented people back. And that certainly I have found in, in, in my experience as a white woman, I've had a number of bosses who are men who were more reluctant to give me feedback than they were to give feedback to my colleagues who are men. Not because these guys were like, you know, misogynists hell-bent on ruining my career, but because they have been taught since they were kids to be, to, you know, to kind of pull their punches with so to speak, with women. And so that's, it's not fair. It was their job to give everybody feedback equally. But one of the things that I tell people who are feeling like this might be happening to them, like my boss, for whatever reason, is afraid to give me feedback because I'm different from my boss along some dimension. I think there's, I think it's kind of going back to the order of operations, start by soliciting feedback because you want to know to make it safe. You want to know where your, you know, where your manager stands uh, and, and what your manager thinks about your, about your feedback. And then maybe give that person a little bit of praise, not in a kiss up kind of way, but let the person know what you appreciate about them so that they, so that you're, you're now, I mean, you shouldn't have to reassure your boss that you think, but sometimes you do when you're underrepresented. And, and then you want to make sure that you work extra hard to solicit feedback, to think about what, sh what is the question, what are the words that are, because if you say, do you have any feedback for me? That other person is going to say, oh no, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, you already know that. So what are the words that you can use that will help you really draw feedback out. I don't know if you all have good feedback questions, soliciting feedback questions, but. The, the ones I know best are specific. Asking yeah. for feedback about a specific project deliverable meeting is always gonna get something yeah. deeper than a, than a broad ask. Jensen, I'm curious, you've managed lots of people over the course of your career. If you think of one or two people who were particularly good at asking for feedback, how did they approach it? You, you know, someone who you think of as having been very open and receptive to feedback, to initiate feedback conversations with you as a manager, what, did, what patterns did you see? Well, I think one thing that can really help if you 
um, are looking to get more feedback from your manager or from the, you know, the company that you work at is to signal how open you are explicitly to feedback and then show willingness to act on that feedback. Nothing creates sort of a positive cycle of feedback um, than actually seeing someone act on that, show that they're open to it because that makes you as a manager want to put more fuel on that fire. Like, oh, here's someone who's not just says they're you know open to feedback, but actually you can see they take that feedback and run with it. The other thing that I would say that might feel um, you know, kind of weird to say, but something that can really help open that up as well is giving your manager feedback, being willing to erase some of the power dynamic by saying, hey, I have feedback for you, actually. And that can be really hard to do and doesn't always feel safe to do that. But if you are in a, you know, a situation where that does feel safe, sometimes that can bring down the wall as well and signal like, I've got feedback for you too. Here's something you're doing that is not working for me that I wanted to let you know. And that also can, I think, signal the openness to two-way feedback that makes a great relationship between a manager and employee. Yeah, I love the, we had uh, Daniel Chait on recently on the show. And one of the things he observed that is most powerful when people have received feedback from their teams is to then communicate back to the team, here's what I heard from the team and here's what I'm doing with it. And then people see you sort of take action with the feedback and that there, there is nothing that earns you the trust of getting more feedback more than using the feedback you receive in an effective and open way, like whatever your role. I think that is such a trust earner. Yeah, and Jensen, there's something else really important, I think, in what you said, which is that if you are uh, gonna give feedback to your boss, so you're gonna now speak truth to power, you're sort of you're you're sort of getting more on an equal footing, and you're it's, and I think it's really the people I know who've been the most successful in their career have often been willing to speak truth to power in that way. If they don't have power, they're willing to pick it up, and if they do have power, they're willing to put it down so that they build real relationships with people. And I think that is important. Yeah. Well, thank you for the story. Really appreciate this one. It's a little different than what we've seen before. And again, if you have a story, please drop us a note at mystory at realistfeedback.com. Um, they do not only have to be bad stories. We love stories where somebody gave you feedback that was helpful and transformative, especially if it's something you hadn't seen without that person taking the step to provide you the feedback. Um, so thank you. I think that's about all we have for today. Jensen, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you on the show. And until next time on Real is Feedback. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye.